Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. This is episode 96. My name is Laura Diaz. Welcome. Happy to have you here. If you're new, it's really nice to meet you. Today we're talking about regulation in the cosmetics industry, and I am pumped about today's episode. We're speaking with Lindsay Dahl. Lindsay is the Senior Vice President of Social Mission at Beauty Counter. I feel like you've definitely heard of Beauty Counter before because they are quite literally revolutionizing the clean beauty movement. Beauty Counter is primarily a brand that produces cosmetics and skincare items, but they're also crazy invested in policy and regulation and revolutionizing the way that people are interacting with their products and how human health is so deeply tied to these products that are in our everyday lives. They do an amazing amount of activism and policy and a lot of consumer education. And honestly, what I admire so much about Beauty Counter is that it's not just about natural beauty. It's not just about green beauty, clean beauty, and labeling things with a little leaf. It's about safe beauty and making sure that people are getting products that are actually good and healthy for their bodies. Like I mentioned, Lindsay Dahl is Beauty Counter's SVP of Social Mission, where she leads safety, sustainability, advocacy, and philanthropy. Lindsay has been working over 15 years to remove toxic chemicals from everyday consumer products, which we get into. What I enjoy so much about Lindsay's approach to her work is that she has a super, super comprehensive approach to activism, to product safety, to sustainability, and to social impacts. Today, Lindsay speaks a little bit about her background in legislature. She talks about health protective acts, both at the state and federal level. And dig this, she was actually involved in America's first ban of BPA, a super toxic chemical in baby bottles. We didn't speak in depth about this experience, but I thought it would be a fun resume, fun fact to share. Lindsay served in Washington, D.C. as the deputy director of Safer Chemicals for Healthy Families, which is our country's largest coalition updating federal laws on toxic chemicals. Super cool. She's incredibly involved and so, so knowledgeable about policy and legislation and getting things done to overall change the way we think about certain products. Lindsay and I talk about working in government and the process of passing legislation, plus the value of regulation, because Beauty Counter is actively asking for more regulation in their own industry, which I think is so cool, so different, truly does set them apart. We also talk about Beauty Counter's recent MICA documentary. It's only 11 or 12 minutes, and I'll have it linked in the show notes if you're interested in learning more, because I totally recommend it, 11 or 12 minutes of your life, and you learn truly so much about the way that products are being sourced, 
what we're using in our products, the social impacts of a lot of these sourcing things. It's really, really interesting. We also talk about Beauty Counter's new Blueprint for Clean, which is a super comprehensive life cycle analysis on safety, on ethical sourcing, and a lot of other facets to their products. I felt like this episode was different because while we do talk about beauty and skincare a little bit on this podcast, it's interesting to think about it from the policy perspective and from the regulation perspective. So I'm really glad that we got to have this chat. Besides all the amazing work that Beauty Counter does in policy and activism, which we're mostly focusing on today, I also really admire their sales approach. Beauty Counter is a direct retail brand, which means that they are selling directly to consumers, but on multiple channels through multiple levels. I think it's important to clarify, I really want to stress this today, that a traditional MLM company, multi-level marketing company, only allows their customers to shop through a consultant, and that is not the same as a direct retail brand. Beauty Counter really does try to meet their consumer wherever they want to shop. So they have a general website for everyone that you can shop through. You can shop through social media. You can shop through a consultant. And they also have physical brick and mortar locations. Really, wherever you want to buy their products, they're available for you, which I think is a really cool, different idea. However, if you are interested in shopping through a consultant, I have two friends who I will link in the show notes. They both have a lot of clean beauty education on social media. My friend Annie runs a blog called Rosy Cheeks and Rosé, and my friend Hallie has actually been on the podcast twice before in our very, very early days with her blog, Sur Sublimité. Both I'm going to link in the show notes if you're interested in shopping through a consultant or at least flipping through their social media to learn more about this education that they're actively trying to share about clean beauty and the regulations that need to be done in the cosmetics industry as a whole. Because dig this, the cosmetics industry is one of the least regulated industries in America. There has been almost no laws in the last hundred years. It's crazy to think that these things that we're actively putting on our bodies, near our eyes, on our lips... I mean, that could be toxic. That's super gross to think about. After I had this conversation with Lindsay, I started thinking more and more about products that I'm using in my beauty routine that could very well be toxic, which is kind of gross to think about, I'll be honest with you. And I'm not someone who wears a lot of makeup. I don't put on like a full face of anything every day. But when it comes to something like lipstick or lip gloss, I'm a big lip gloss person. And that's going directly in my mouth. I hate to say it, but the reason it's washing off most of the day is because it's ending up in my mouth. And I mean, like, I don't want to think about that as toxic. That's just so disheartening and I'm disappointed. And I just don't want to think that my brands are not actively trying to make sure that I am getting a healthy and safe product. And that's not to say that every brand is out to get us, but I'm saying that it's interesting to think that they are really relying on self-regulation a lot of the time if you're thinking about clean beauty in any capacity. Lindsay shares a lot of really good resources at the end of the episode of where you can go to learn more about the products you currently have and where you can learn more about what products we should be thinking more deeply about regulating ingredients to look out for, things like that. She shares a lot of really awesome resources. And then on a personal level, if you're interested in getting more into clean beauty, if you're looking to replace something in your routine already, I would start with those things that you're actively ingesting. I don't know if ingesting is the word I want to use, but the lip gloss, lipstick thing, but also maybe mascara because that's going directly on your eyes or something that's sinking into your skin like some sort of lotion. That's just where I personally started and where I find the most success in my very minimal beauty cosmetics routine. The more specific ingredients list and other resources that Lindsay shares, I'm going to go ahead and link in the show notes if you're interested in learning more. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate five stars. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and definitely check us out on social media. We are at EcoChic Podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. My personal page is also linked in the show notes if you are so inclined. And if you want to keep up with us via email, I definitely suggest you sign up for our very fun weekly newsletter. If you go to totallyecochic.com, there's a little pop-up and it's a nice, friendly addition to your workday inbox. All right, let's get into today's episode with Lindsay Dahl, SVP of Social Mission for Beauty Counter. Lindsay, I'm so excited to be speaking with you today, and I'm excited to just dive right in. I would love to hear a little bit about your background and what got you to where you are today with Beauty Counter. Sure, happy to, and thanks for having me. Um, You know, I... Grew up in Minnesota, so I'm a northern lady. And aside from really loving cheese and jumping in lakes, I spent a lot of time outdoors. And um, I didn't really realize it, of course, because I was a kid at the time, but that laid the groundwork for what was the early days in my career. And so when I first graduated from college, um, I started working specifically on climate change and renewable energy, and I was working as an assistant at a nonprofit, and the nonprofit was doing amazing work, and I was super energized by it, Um, but over time, I actually got kind of insights into what climate change policy works look like, and at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, I hate politics. I want nothing to do with it, but I think I had the benefit really early on in my career to kind of be a fly on the wall and a lot of really interesting conversations. And I had a a bit of an aha moment as a kind of young and naive 22 year old when I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I care so much about the environment and people's health. I can tell everyone I know about changing out their light bulbs and how that could create a more efficient home. But what happens if you actually pass a piece of legislation, if you pass a law requiring companies and utilities to emit less carbon, imagine how much more of an impact I could have, even though the political process is kind of messy. And so I would say that moment for me was kind of the thing that set me off in this very kind of niche career, which is around passing laws to protect people and the environment. Um, And the kind of trajectory of my career started in Minnesota, passing laws Um, through the Minnesota State Legislature, um, which we can dive into a little bit more if you want, but it led me to DC, which ultimately then moved me to the West Coast to work for Beauty Counter. That's an amazing story and an amazing way that you got to where you are today now currently in a more cosmetics space, passing legislation. And I am interested to hear about your time in state legislature. I'm so interested in general in people who work in government. I think that government inherently has this, uh, what's the word I want to, I want to say like this stereotype. I actually dig this. I actually just started a job in government this week, a new job. And it has the stereotype. Everyone in the office is making these jokes that everything moves slowly and you can't get anything done and blah, blah, blah. But then you look at the big picture and it's like, these are real things that are affecting people's lives. Like these are actual policies and programs and regulations that you are putting into action so that you can hopefully better that community or that state or whoever it is that you are advocating for. So I'm really interested to hear a little bit about your time in legislature, actually. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, it, for sure, things move slow, but that's kind of the point. So I think if it was easy to pass legislation, uh, or if these problems were easy to solve, we could just, you know, crank out a bunch of laws and everything would be fixed. But the, the fact of the matter is that when you're looking at something like climate change or regulating ingredients that go into the products we use on our skin every day, if you're doing it in a thoughtful way, it's going to take time to get right, especially since um, passing regulation for the sake of regulation is never the goal. Um, it has to be smart and it has to be effective and it has to be right for both people um, and our economy. And so I think I, I've always said, and I think this is something I learned from my parents early on, is that it's really important to play the long game and being resilient in knowing that, you know, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. I'm still young in my career and that um, it may feel slow while you're in it, but um, when you can actually see laws being passed, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. And so to answer your question, I, um, I've always worked as an advocate on the policy side of things. So I first started working for environmental and public health nonprofits working to influence the Minnesota state legislature to pass legislation. So I never worked specifically um, on Capitol Hill. And I think that was just a testament to my personality, which I kind of like to be the troublemaker. So I like to be the person poking them um, to do things rather than necessarily sitting within the bureaucracy. But I love state politics. I think um, our state legislatures are the fastest way to impact people's lives every single day because it impacts everything from the quality of the roads that you drive on every morning to uh, what your healthcare looks like and the quality of the air you breathe. And so I'm really passionate about people always look to Washington, D.C., but so much happens and so much opportunity lies in our own backyards. And so, um, you know, when I kind of transition from working on climate change to focusing on toxic chemicals and consumer products. I was you know, lucky enough to work for several years through the Minnesota legislature to help pass a bunch of kind of signature laws. And so one of which was the nation's first ban on the toxic chemical BPA from baby bottles and sippy cups. We also passed a ban on phthalates, which is a class of hormone disrupting chemicals from children's products that ultimately led to a federal ban. And so again, I was pretty young or in my early 20s and I got to see, oh my gosh, like imagine how a little state like Minnesota by passing a single law can transform the entire national marketplace. I was really excited by that because, you know, baby bottle manufacturers weren't going to create one set of BPA free bottles and send them to Minnesota and send all the other ones to the other 49 states. They basically just remake their products. And so it almost felt like we were having, and we were having a national impact um, while still working at the state level. I think that's actually a great point that there isn't going to be a manufacturer just producing things for your particular state. And that also makes me think about the conversation about a year ago about um, stricter standards on car emissions in California. And that ultimately didn't pass, but that would have affected all car manufacturers to have better emission standards across the board for the entire United States. So it's interesting to think that, yes, one state or one organization can have such an impact long term and really across the board. And I'm also really interested in bringing this conversation around to consumer products that you were mentioning. So when we're talking about legislation, I'm really interested to hear about the work that you're doing now with Beauty Counter. 
what does the landscape look like right now in the beauty industry when it comes to regulation and what's going on? It's pretty crazy. So the beauty industry is one of the least regulated industries in the consumer goods space. In the United States, the last time a, met, a major federal law was passed was in 1938, and it was signed into law by FDR at the time. Um, and so 1938 was a long time ago, and we've learned a lot about how chemicals used in the products we use on our skin every day um, can impact our health. And unfortunately, our federal lawmakers haven't kind of kept pace, the regulations have not kept pace with the science. And so what the result is, is that it's um, perfectly legal for any personal care or beauty company to use any ingredient they want in a product before it's released to the marketplace. And now that doesn't assume that all chemicals are bad, we're certainly not saying that, but there is a large variety of science showing that some of the ingredients used in beauty products that are currently unregulated have links to serious health conditions like cancer and hormone disruption. And so part of the role and part of the goal of Beauty Counter is when our CEOs first launched the company, um, we manufacture skincare and cosmetic products. She knew that we wanted to not only educate people, we wanted to formulate safe products, but we also wanted to advocate. So um, using our business voice to uh, weigh in both at the state and federal level to help pass laws that are ultimately going to regulate our own industry. And I think I'm probably preaching to the choir for your listeners and for you that it's really, um, especially at the time, seven years ago when we launched, before corporate activism was kind of a thing, um, it was really unusual for a business to proactively be asking for regulations of their own industry. And it's something that set us apart pretty early on because we were unapologetic and kind of exposing the truths of the beauty industry that some of the larger players didn't necessarily want us to be talking about. And perhaps most important, it helped recalibrate the conversation in Washington, DC. So industry wasn't a unified voice saying, no, we don't need new regu regulations um, or restrictions. You had new, a new company in beauty counter saying, actually, no, we need to. And it's also the right thing to do for business in addition to people in the environment. That was a really, really nice, eloquent response. And thank you so much for taking the time to break down what it looks like and what it is that you're doing. And when we talk about education, I would love to talk about the recent MICA documentary that Beauty Counter put out. I'm interested in hearing a little bit for anyone who hasn't seen the documentary yet, doesn't know anything about MICA. Tell me a little bit about what the issues are when we're talking about additives to cosmetic products that, again, they're not regulated and they have larger environmental social consequences. And what can we do to be more aware and conscious as consumers and also eventually as, as we should be regulating these things? Yeah, so our work on MICA is something that I'm personally very excited about because I think, you know, Beauty Counter has always taken a safety first approach to the formulations and the packaging that we use. Uh, but safety also needs to consider the people that are helping bring our products to the market. And so MICA uh, is a really safe ingredient. It's widely used in cosmetics. And um, for a company like Beauty Counter, we have what we call the never list. It's a list of 1,800 ingredients that we'll never use in our formulas. Given the fact that we have limited tools in order to, and ingredients to formulate our products, when we find something that's safe, like MICA, that works really well, 
we want to, you know, use that ingredient wherever we can. The problem, however, is we can't look at that in isolation because mica is not safe for the people who mine it. And so there's a lot of issues um, with the sourcing of mica specific to forced labor, wage theft, and child labor. And so you've seen everyone from Refinery29 to NBC News starting to talk about how mica has issues with how it's sourced. And it's not dissimilar to the chocolate industry or the coffee industry and where they were 10 years ago when basically major companies were sourcing chocolate and coffee knowing that there were some human rights and labor issues, but no one had any sort of visibility into their supply chain. And so Micah's in a similar situation. And while we are fast growing and we're definitely the leader in clean beauty, we're still a small segment when it comes to actually purchasing Micah. Uh, but that didn't stop us from trying to roll up our sleeves and do the right thing. And so we created a quick 11-minute um, documentary to help tell the story about the is issues with sourcing, but perhaps most important, what Beauty Counter is doing to help make sure that the people who are mining our mica are just as safe as the people using an eyeshadow or blush or a tinted moisturizer every morning before they leave for work. I think it's super, super cool that Beauty Counter can take this really holistic, full life cycle approach to their products. And I think that people are absolutely waking up as we are reading more about clean beauty, not only from contemporary news sources, but it's becoming more and more prevalent in the cosmetics aisles and the skincare aisles. So I'm also interested to hear a little bit about what Beauty Counter is doing to stand out as you mentioned you are absolutely the leader in the clean beauty movement, but now that you have these smaller brands coming up and people are waking up to clean beauty, how are you taking it one step further? So Beauty Counter was launched seven years ago in 2013, and at the time there were um, a few kind of key leaders, both in the natural cosmetics and natural skincare space, uh, many of which we're friends with and we love that they helped pave the way. Um, but where I think Beauty Counter kind of set ourselves apart when we first launched was that our focus wasn't on natural. It was about uh, safety first and foremost. And so for us, especially knowing that we wanted to get into makeup, uh, we knew that we needed to use a blend of both natural ingredients and safely screened synthetics. And so that is kind of where Clean Beauty kind of had its origin. And, you know, we launched with a never list of 1,500 ingredients. As I mentioned, it's now up to 1,800. But everything we do after the never list is perhaps most interesting. And so in the last seven years, we've seen all these brands, new brands being introduced into the marketplace in the clean beauty industry. And we're super excited about it. that was actually the vision that Greg had is she wanted other people, especially other women, because the clean beauty industry is often... Um, started, most of those companies are by women, to inspire others to create their own lines as well. And so it's pretty clear that clean beauty is working. I think to your question of what are we doing to set ourselves apart, uh, we are launching what we call our blueprint for clean. And it's basically 12 different areas that we go to great lengths to make sure that our products are safe. And so if you think about the first of the 12 steps, the first of the 12 steps is our unparalleled safety screening. And we screen every ingredient against 23 health and environmental endpoints. And that's just the first step. So if you look at kind of the marketplace, what is really common is people's version of the never list or a no-no list or a banned list. Um, but 
I think perhaps that's actually the easy part is banning ingredients. What is most interesting and what is hardest is how are you actually going beyond that? And so that includes our work on responsibly sourced mica, for example. We have a kind of best in class quality assurance program to make sure that the people who are manufacturing our products are held to really high standards because the standards are virtually non-existent in the beauty industry. Um, it includes everything from screening packaging material for the same chemicals of concern to make sure that we're not unintentionally leaching problematic chemicals into the actual formulas themselves. And so this blueprint for clean that has kind of a comprehensive 12 steps, I think is something that is uh, unparalleled in, in the industry. It's something we're super excited about. Um, it creates a lot of a headache for the people that are working with us, but we know it's the right thing to do because we know it's where the market's going. That absolutely sounds like a really great insight into where the market is going. And as you mentioned, the idea of sustainable uh, packaging and also just really healthy packaging, I'm interested to hear just kind of a wild card question here. As a consumer, what's something that might surprise some consumers that they should be more concerned about when it comes to their cosmetics? Like, for example, the first time I heard about mica being so awful as a social issue, I was shocked. I was really taken aback and I was a little bit disappointed in myself for not knowing beforehand that I was contributing to this problem. So would you say that there is anything else similarly shocking to consumers when they first hear that it's present in their cosmetics products or in their skincare products? You know, um, there's two different ways I want to answer your question. The first of which is that a good example of any class of ingredients that are still commonly used in personal care products are is formaldehyde and what are called formaldehyde releasers. So I think most people know that formaldehyde is a known human car carcinogen. It's great at preserving a product, but um, it's not something that we necessarily want to be slathering on our skin every single day. So that's something that still is kind of crazy to me that it feels like it's so obvious why wouldn't we have taken action on this yet and we haven't. Um, I think another way to answer your question around packaging, because you asked about that specifically, is that no matter how um, kind of advanced a beauty company's take to sustainable packaging is, the truth of the matter is that the majority of packaging in the beauty space is not recycled. Um, and the reason for that is quite simple. Um, the actual infrastructure for recycling. So if you think about the machines that sift and sort things uh, you're recycling, actually the products are so small, they fall through the grates. And if you're thinking about lipsticks or certain eyeshadows, et cetera, often small eye cream tubes or jars. And so I think packaging has been a massive challenge for us because we know that there's a bigger infrastructure issue that needs to be tackled. Uh, but that's not going to stop us from still making the smartest decisions that we possibly can around the materials that we use. But I think the majority of people think that every little eye cream tube that you use, if it's plastic, oh, that can be recycled. Um, and oftentimes those materials actually are not recyclable, but nor are they actually recycled. Just be sheer, um, sheer size impacts whether or not it's caught. That's it. That's a great, great point because I say the same thing when it comes to things like straws, let's say. I feel like more and more often I'm encountering people who have this guilt for acquiring a plastic straw and they put it in the recycling bin because they think it's the right thing to do. 
but that straw, just like tiny eye creams or anything like that, it's going to fall through the cracks. It's not going to be recycled or grocery bags. A lot of the time people think that they can put them in the recycling bin, but it's such a thin plastic that you can't actually put it through a general recycling process and it'll get stuck in the machines and ultimately just cause more headaches than it's worth. So I think making people more aware of what's actually recyclable is really important. And I also want to take a minute to say thank you for educating me on formaldehyde because as soon as you said that, I was very, very shocked. When you say formaldehyde, I think of preserving, you know, preserving little brains in a science class or something that's in a jar, like in, you know, something that is meant to be really seriously preserved for a long period of time. It is known to be a carcinogen. It's known to cause a lot of, of um, I don't know if it's a hormone disruptor, so I should definitely fact check myself on that. But I feel like formaldehyde is a no-brainer that should not be in cosmetics projects. So thank you for letting me know. Yeah, happy to. And with that, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience or anything that we didn't get to talk about that you're interested in sharing? Don't feel pressured, definitely. Yeah, no, I think, you know, if, if this is a new kind of topic for someone, I think there's a few things to get started. The first of which is that you can head to beautycounter.com and click on the never list. And we have, of the 1800 ingredients, we have a subset of the kind of top 16 offenders. You can actually cross-reference your products with that list. The second resource I would turn people to is Environmental Working Group Skin Deep Database. They don't have every product, but they have a lot of products where you can type in the name of your product and you can see it rated on a scale from one to 10 for toxicity. So they're specifically looking at the safety of the ingredients used in the formulas. And they actually have a pretty cool uh, program called EWG Verified where the best of the best get this special seal. And so you can start to use that when you're shopping the marketplace um, because I think the tool itself, Skin Deep, but it's certainly that logo, it just helps you know that someone else has done the homework for you. And then the final thing is I would just say that every voice matters and we have seen significant progress in Washington. And um, if you wanna pull out your cell phone, you can text the word better beauty, all one word, to 52886, so 52886, Better Beauty, and we'll send you a link to directly email your members of Congress. And it takes two minutes, it actually matters. Um, they do receive emails, and we've seen from all of the people who have been taking this text action, we've seen a lot of momentum on Capitol Hill, which ultimately led to our CEO testifying just a couple months ago on Capitol Hill, specifically advocating for clean beauty for all. So. Hopefully those three things can be really helpful as someone is starting their clean beauty journey. That is an incredible tool. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. And before we sign off, I actually would love to hear a little bit more about Capitol Hill and this, this really incredible position that Beauty Counter was able to take when it comes to legislation and talking about the cosmetics industry. If you could just give me like a general overview of what was going on and what the ultimate goal was. Yeah, so we've been advocating for the last seven years, both through lobbying directly in Washington, but also mobilizing our independent consultants who sell our products to contact their members of Congress. And basically every year we've been turning up the volume on our communications to Congress to say the time is now for us to have health protective laws that protect people 
from ingredients that are causing harm. And um, I would say the culmination of this work really kind of came to a peak when our CEO was asked to testify before the House of Representatives in early December. And the committee that is going to be passing cosmetics legislation is one of the busiest and also most important committees in Congress. And um, they had a hearing where there was a ton of showing between, between Democrats and Republicans, which is not super common actually. Oftentimes they'll have a hearing and no one shows up. The hearing room was packed and we had the opportunity to showcase that businesses do care about people's health, ask, actively asking Congress to give the FDA more authority to recall products and screen ingredients for safety. And I think our message was really uh, well received. And this year in 2020, the committee has agreed to take action on uh, legislation. And so we're just trying to hold people's feet to the fire. So the more that people can place phone calls to their members of Congress, the better. Great. Wow. Thank you so much for that overview. And I will make sure to have the number written in the show notes. So anyone who wants to get in touch and get that link can have a really easy access to it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me. Um, if, is there anything that we didn't get to that you'd really be interested in sharing? No, I think that covers all the key topics. Okay, okay. I always like to ask just so I have it all as one file, but I'm gonna go ahead and, um, and stop the recording if that's all right. Hope you loved that episode with Lindsay. I hope you really enjoyed our conversation. I felt like I learned a lot on a personal level. I left this conversation a little wiser about my beauty routine, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to rate and review the show, and don't forget to check out the show notes for all of those awesome resources that she shared. Seriously, it's awesome. And I will also, again, have my friends that are consultants. I'll have them linked in the show notes below if you're interested in shopping with them. Don't forget to follow us on social media at EcoChic Podcast on Instagram is where I primarily live. It's a good time. And also totally EcoChic.com for that weekly newsletter I mentioned. I really appreciate you hanging out with us today and I will talk to you really, really soon. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.